0: Hello and welcome into to the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network, and this week's guests are former Michigan head coach John Beeline and Harold Shelton in Big Ten Network's research department. Let's get into it.
1: Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, With the catch,
2: the finish! Oh my goodness! What a
1: catch! Oh my goodness. It's <laughs>
0: Alright, like I mentioned at the top, we have John Beeline as our first interview. I'm sure you've heard the name. Most of you are likely very familiar with his resume. He was the long-time Michigan basketball head coach. Two Final Fours, two National Championship game appearances. He coached at West Virginia before that. And also had, uh, was a head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2019-2020 season. And is now back at Big Ten Network as an analyst. So... The man does not really need much of an introduction, but I'm excited about this interview. Talk a lot of Michigan and uh, get a lot of his insights. So we'll get right to that right now. It's Take 10 Podcast interview with John Beeline. I am very pleased to be joined by a very special guest. He's a huge figure in college basketball. He's former Michigan Wolverines head coach and current Big Ten Network analyst, John Beeline.
1: Coach, how are you? Good, Alex. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, really excited to have you on. Um, and I just want to give you a welcome back to Big Ten Network because if folks remember, you know, a lot of stuff has happened since March. But you were with us briefly last year for a, a day or so, right? Because I think everything was canceled either on your first day or your first week. Uh, what happened in your <laughs> TV debut with us?
1: Yeah, you know, I was very excited about it because I was March Madness was hitting and I was doing nothing and as you know we've been very busy in in March Madness the last few years so when I got the call I came in and I uh, did a did a total of 24 I was at 24 hours I think we were up running where um, I did did a, a couple of uh, the first round of the Big 10 tournament and then ready to do the uh, the the Michigan game the next morning I all pumped up they called the game and warm ups and uh I got in my car and came home and haven't really moved since then. So uh, it's unfortunate everything that has gone on, but we're all going to survive it and we're going we're to be better for it. And so, so is the network. So am I, everybody.
0: Yeah. Here's to some better uh, fortune this year and your second go around with the network. Um, like I said, though, it's an honor to have you on, watch your teams kind of my entire basketball viewing life. Uh, I remember watching, you know, for the first time when you were at West Virginia that's as far back as my basketball memory goes. So the first time I really took notice of your guys' teams was in March 2005, the Kevin Pitznagel, uh, Patrick Beeline era. And I think it was March 26, the same day that uh, my childhood team, Illinois, beat Arizona. You guys had that thriller against Louisville in one of the most memorable days of the Elite Eight ever. So do people still come up to you and, and ask about that day? Because to me, I think it's like a, a seminal moment in college basketball, really.
1: Well, that game against Louisville is probably not the one most remembered because we lost. Uh, The only time I ever thought about it a lot after that was uh, we were up 18 in that game with about 30 minutes to go, way too soon to be up 18. But when we went at Michigan, believe it or not, I mean, that haunts me forever. When we played Florida in an Elite Eight game uh, in 2013, we were up 17 at half. Uh, down in, down in uh, the, the stadium in Dallas where it's Mammoth Stadium. It takes you three or four minutes to walk to the locker room. That was a long walk. Go to that locker room thinking, we, John, you can't blow this one again. You can't do this. And uh, as a result, we didn't. We, we won it easily. But uh, my team made fun of me on that because of the uh, – I was so stoic right to the end because I didn't want that ever to happen again. But we had really – you know, that team was so good. And what people remember most is the Creighton win and then the Wake Forest win Chris Paul's last game. Uh, those were great wins as well as Texas Tech. So really good team that came back to go to Sweet 16 the next year. Terrific young man at West Virginia. I got, had the opportunity to coach.
0: Yeah, and like you said, you did get it done in 2013, got to the Final Four. And obviously you built a phenomenal program and, and uh, era that is just fantastic in Michigan. Two Final Four runs, two championship game appearances. And when you look back at your two final four runs, how do you kind of compartmentalize those two experiences? Cause like from afar, I remember that 2013 squad is just kind of an embarrassment of riches. You had like six NBA draft picks and then 2018, you guys were a three seed, a very good team, but I don't know if you guys were picked to go to the final four Was more of an underdog story. So how do you like reflect on those runs and sort of define them in your mind?
1: I I think it was two different almost eras because it took so long to get to that point, you know, where, you know, I, uh, 10, 11, 12, we were building towards that. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, there we are in the final four and, and, and in the championship game against Louisville. So it was, all right. And then in 14, we win the big 10 championship again, go to the lead eight. And then the bottom dropped out. We lost three, got three sophomores to the NBA. Then, then, Karis LeVert and Derek Walton went down the next year. Karis LeVert went the next year again at Illinois when he was playing one of the best games he's played. Uh, he hurt his foot with, a, with about a minute left to go in the game as we were getting ready to take him out, by the way. And we, had to, we basically had to start over again uh, that we just qualified the next year, go, went to Dayton. Then we went to the Sweet 16, uh, And then we go back to the championship game again So it was like two different, completely different teams that really uh, none of the same personnel, different coaching staffs, uh, but I can't tell you which one I favored. I mean, both of those groups of young men and the staffs that I had were exceptional.
0: And speaking of the talent you had on both sides there in both eras, um, Big Ten Network named their all-decade basketball teams this past summer from a panel of, quote, experts, and uh, first of all, Nick Stauskas was not happy that he did not make one of the three teams. I talked to him about that, and I, I don't blame him. He should have made it. Um, but Trey Burke did make one of the three teams. And when they interviewed him in the summer about the shot he made against Kansas in the Sweet 16, he said that he could tell from a look on your face you didn't like the shot when it went up. Is that, <laughs> is that accurate?
1: That's accurate. It, it, was a, it was a play called the Eyeball, where he's going to get a high screen from Mitch McGarry, and then looking for his own a little bit and then go into a weave with Nick Stauskas on that side, if he didn't have like a good look. And now Mitch said a great screen, but he still, they still switched on it. But knowing Trey, that's the way Trey was. I trusted him hundred percent, but he was deep. Uh, could we have gotten a better shot? Maybe. Could we have made the shot? No, we made it. So, but Trey, if you look at that shot, it was far. He's going from left. And he had a 6'10 guy on him. But there were a couple of moments like that with Trey that he would take a shot and I would go, oh, no, no, no. And I'd say, great shot. Trey, that's my guy. And he did it over and over again for us. So a lot of trust in him. Absolutely.
0: That was obviously a defining moment of that run uh, of your time at Michigan. Another one that I remember sticks out because it was when I was working at Big Ten Network, I was there for it It was when uh, the plane episode happened, leaving Ann Arbor to go to Washington, D.C. in the Big Ten tournament back in 2017. First of all, I just got to ask, I'm sure you've flown thousands of times in your life by now. Are you a nervous flyer at all, even before that incident happened?
1: You know, the only thing I do now is I do fasten my seatbelt all the time. I mean, when the plane took off, I actually had my seatbelt not on and I was watching film. I had the computer in front of me, sometimes on the charter planes. You can you can get away with a little bit more of that than you can on the, uh, the commercial ones, and uh, the only thing I could do is is uh, I was in the bulkhead, so I got my my heels up against the bulkhead and just leaned against my wife to try to you know make sure she didn't go forward, but there was never a seatbelt on the whole time, so I realized how lucky I was. So I, that seatbelt does get does get fastened every time, no matter what type of flight I'm on.
0: I remember, uh, I think somebody who told the story, Bronson Koenig, maybe, uh, from Wisconsin told this, or I'm sorry, uh, Dewey Dukin told the story on this podcast that Bo Ryan always sits in the back of the plane because, uh, his theory was the plane goes down nose first. You never see a plane go down, you know, tail first.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, I didn't do, I was always in that bulkhead up to the front or, or in that first two seats. And, uh, the, uh, the, I was, you know what? We executed really well. As you know, we went out and won four straight teams. It wasn't nearly as good as our, uh, our emergency evacuation from that plane. I, I swear, Alex, it seemed to me like it was probably two or three minutes to do it. It seemed like it took 10 seconds to get out. Our guys were great when you got Mark Donnell you know, taking the window out, throwing it back in, and then getting the cheerleaders off first and everything. It was a thing of beauty. If we'd never lose a game, if we execute like we did in, in that evacuation of that plane.
0: Yeah, luckily we can look back and make light of it. And then you get to D.C. You mentioned you win the four in a row, beat Illinois in the practice jerseys. What sticks with me though from the, that run is the quote you had on the podium. I think it went something like, "You know, let me tell you about those five days, those four wins in the Michigan Wolverines. And we always kind of repeat that in the office as one of those uh, iconic quotes. So my question is, was that something that you came up with on the spot or was that something you rehearsed? Like if we win today in the mirror, I'm, I'm saying this on the podium.
1: I believe I, I'm not, I can't recall yet. I think I, what I tried to do many times out in that locker room, paint the picture of success before we went out on the floor. And I think I might've sent something in the locker room to the guys, you know, about these five days. Uh, I get emotional. just talking about it again now, but these, these five days have been incredible. What would it be like to talk about this after a championship? Envision it, feel it, know what you're doing. You're talking to your 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 parents or your children or, or your grandkids, and then uh, then it was sort of spontaneous. Once uh, once uh, Jim Delaney gave me the mic, so uh, it certainly was something because it you go in practice uniforms in poor Illinois, they never knew what hit them. We we I mean we played so well. We played, and they had beaten us once that year, I believe. And we played so well and in Purdue. And, uh, we, and we ended up coming back in that one when we were down and winning in overtime. Uh, beating Minnesota, we were ahead by a lot. We were ahead by a lot and they came back and I think they might've tied and get with one. And the guys told me it was one of the best timeouts ever. We didn't talk about basketball. We talked about uh, what we had just been through. And, uh, what a, what a what a great uh, opportunity we had instead of, what are you doing wrong on defensive transition? And then Wisconsin was just a, uh, to win that way. It was very emotional for all of us. And the next thing you know, we have a chance. I mean, we win a, a, a great game against, uh, uh, against Oklahoma State and then uh, and Louisville too. So a ma- magical type of year.
0: I forgot about it until you mentioned it just now, but I remember after that Illinois loss that you guys took and Maverick Morgan called your team white collar. That's my uh, my good friend from college, Maverick Morgan. I always give him uh, crap about that comment. And he he actually grew up an Ohio State fan. So I think there was some like animosity there anyway. But that, that was always a funny little side note.
1: Well, we will we'll be always indebted to him for that comment. Uh, it's a great lesson, but I mean, it changed our guys (laughs) when we played them at home that year said, coach, we're wearing blue, we're wearing our blue, we're blue collar. We're not wearing that. So, you know, I, I, I said Maverick's a young man and he, he, he meant well, I'm sure. Uh, but my dad was a white collar guy and I never saw anybody work so hard in their life. So it, it probably didn't even make sense, but at the any rate, it motivated our guys.
0: Yeah. Mav's a good guy. I'll pass along the the message. No hard feelings. Um, all right, so speaking of the Big Ten tournament, that was your first win out in D.C., uh, first of back-to-back wins. I heard you enjoy playing at Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, I, everybody seems to, but you especially liked it. Is that accurate, and why uh, why do you favor that venue so much?
1: Well, you, I, I grew up a Nick fan, watching in the old garden, watching them play, and then the new garden, and, and it, it, that was special, being from upstate New York, but We played there several times. In addition to the tournament, we have so it's such a strong alumni base for us. New York City, now that whole tri-state area is there's all kinds of Michigan fans and alums there. So whenever we played in the Garden, we felt like it was a home game. And uh, if anybody was there with us in in that run in '18 uh, through through the Garden, uh, they would know. I mean, the Purdue's you know, in the Michigan states and Iowa's and Nebraska, we had a win four on that one, too. Uh, the, that they could tell that was a Michigan home court for so many of us because of the great support we get in that area.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite environments I've ever been in attendance for was the Saturday afternoon semifinal, Michigan, Michigan State. That was just an electric atmosphere, so many alumni you could tell.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Michigan State has several as well. And but yeah, that was, uh, that was really great. That was, it, it was no, I remember shaking Tom Izzo's hand beforehand and he shocked me a little bit because they were, they were such a good team. Cause I said, Tom, I think you can win the whole thing, meaning the national championship. He said me, it's your team that I think can win the whole national championship. And it, it's, it just goes to show how you look at your own team and and, Others may appreciate it while you're still trying to develop it. And uh, both of us had really good teams. It's a shame we both couldn't, you know, uh, uh, win the national championship that year. Cause I think either team could have, and including 19, both teams could have won the national championship in 19 too. We were both, both really good teams in 18 and 19.
0: Yeah. And key piece on those teams in your later years at Michigan was Duncan Robinson. He's a huge story, especially in his, his rookie year in Miami. What was it like for you just observing from afar, watching him start in the NBA finals, you know, these past few months, a uh, few months ago, knowing yourself what it takes to compete at the NBA level, having coached at that level, and being the guy to pretty much discover him, bringing him to the Division One level um, from D3?
1: Well, you know, we, we, we're fortunate right now to have an, a lot of guys in the NBA. Uh, I mean, a lot of people. And so uh, I'm proud of every one of them. Uh, there's no question when you look at how Karis Levert worked through his adversity to get where he is. DJ Wilson, very similar. Uh, there, there's so many guys there to, to, that we've, we really, we really feel so good about because of their success, not only in Michigan, but in the NBA. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Duncan, right? Duncan's, we get the, our coaching staff is just, was excellent at Michigan. We'll probably get way too much credit because Duncan did a lot of that himself. He really worked at his game so much. A guy named John Sanderson, our strength coach, uh, who Adam Fletcher at Illinois—I know you're an Illinois guy—is his understudy. Uh, he developed Duncan, and then dunk took it further as far as quickness and cutting and all these things. And uh, make a long story short, I'm so proud watching him. But all our players, you know, that are currently in the NBA, you know, got a chance this year to play against Tim Hardaway. Who drilled us? Mo Wagner, right? Was uh, we we played against Washington. Trey Burke had like he, he just I don't think he had had double double against us. Wasn't fun. And then Duncan, you know, destroyed us. Karras was hurt. We played Derek Walton played against us. Uh, I'm forgetting guys, but we're so so happy to have the, those guys have all that success.
0: Okay, so outside of maybe the Big Ten title teams or the Final Four teams, what was your favorite Michigan squad? you know, that maybe was on the way up or it was in between those pockets of success. Yeah, I remember your first uh, at Michigan, you know, the Zach Novak, Manny Harris, the Vogrich, Smotrich teams. And those are scrappy bunches. So what were some of your favorite squads outside of the, uh, you know, the pinnacle teams?
1: Yeah, I'd be in big trouble if I ever picked a favorite squad. Well, we had some favorites. I will say that, you know, it'd been a long time, some uh, over a decade since Michigan had been in the NCAA tournament. That, that team led by a couple of walk-ons, Dave Merritt and CJ Lee. Uh, guys who were on the scout team and every, every time we scrimmaged, the scout team won. And after watching this for a year, I started putting them in the main rotation and the main rotation are always won. And so we made that change, put them both on scholarship their, their last year. That team was special because uh, we weren't supposed to be very good. The team, when Tim Hardaway was a freshman, uh, before Trey Burke even even showed up, right? when Tim Hardaway and Jordan Morgan Morgan and John Horford and these guys were all freshmen uh, Jack. Uh, we ended up making the NCHM group picked 11 out of 11 teams. We lost to Duke by this much in a second round game. and it started out one in six in the, in the league. That was a, that was a really a special team too, because they were so gritty. they weren't pretty, they were gritty. And then, of course, all those teams that that had all those all the success in the NCAA tournament or Big Ten champions, uh, there's not a team at Michigan that I didn't love, and it helped. I, I hope we developed them as much as they helped develop me as a coach.
0: So you departed on your own terms at Michigan. It's what every coach eventually, I feel like, wants to do. So do you have any advice or any, uh, anything you left for Jawan Howard when he took over? I mean, traditionally, the president leaves like a note or something in the <laughs> Oval Office. What did you, what did you have for Jawan on your way out, his way in?
1: No, we, we talked and, and I had, you know, uh, Ward, knew how, Ward Manuel knew how I felt about Jawan, that he'd be a great pick. I, you know, I had my own staff there. Any of them would be great, would, would have been great picks as well. Uh, Jawan something special, however. So I was hundred percent on board with that, that selection. And we just taught, we had been friends for the last five or six years. Um, no, really my whole time at Michigan, he was one guy as an alum, as a member of the Fab Five, went out of his way to reach out. Uh, would show up, you know, every now and then uh, maybe every year or, or, or close to that, just to talk basketball. So I was really excited for him. He knew that, You know, we had a lot of pieces coming back, but he's his own man. He wanted to establish his own culture. And oh, my goodness, they've done a great job. I I love watching this uh, 2021 team. This is going to be a really good team. Uh, The ball does not stick. It moves like some of our best teams. And uh, it's really going to be fun for Michigan fans. Uh, Don't sleep on this team. This team is good.
0: Yeah, looking forward to seeing them in action uh, some more, especially now as the. Competition really heats up. we got the challenge coming up this week with the ACC, Big Ten play right around the corner. And, you know, I don't want to say you got out at the right time, but when we're in a time where so much is uncertain, right? You know, everything around your profession is distorted for at least a year because of the COVID crisis, and that includes recruiting, player safety, home court advantage. It's all changed. So do you think if you were still coaching in college, Michigan or elsewhere, uh, do you think the circumstances – everything else going on in the world would have removed some of the joy or added some stress to it. Or how would you have approached it? Uh, I, I, you know, because coaches can be so different with their mindset. So how would you approach a season like this?
1: Well, I know it wouldn't have added any stress because I, I was always had seemed to have added stress. Unfortunately, Alex, big, not a strength of mine of being stress-free. So it, it, I think right now you have to, you have to, as a coach, you got to look at This is my job right now to fight to show these guys how to fight through adversity. I mean, so many of these guys growing up the way I, I did, you know, a 19 year old kid during my generation I had a chance to go to college or go to go to Vietnam. And you're, you're laying in the jungle over there where uh, it's an incredible amount of adversity compared to what we have to go through right now. You know, we embrace something in Michigan that Bo Blackler champion called sudden change. And I think we, when, we got, when we had the plane crash and we're standing on the, off the runway, just couldn't believe what just happened. My guys are saying sudden change, coach, sudden change. And I think that would be a mantra that we talk about often right now. All right, we're supposed to play so-and-so tomorrow. And all of a sudden you get to call late at night, the game's off. Sudden change, man, embrace it. Take advantage of it take it instead of lament about it, let's take advantage of this sudden change, By wow, we got extra work on our studies, or let's go watch more film, you know, let's, let's do some things that are, that we can grow from all these things, that's, that's the way I would take it right now, Alex.
0: Yeah, and that's a, obviously a great approach, especially when schedules can be suddenly changed, you know, in a matter of hours, like we saw even this week with some of the Big 10 ACC matchups. Um, To wrap up, John, I have a hopefully a fun little exercise for you. And I know since uh, you maybe don't want to pick favorites sometimes, feel free to pass if you like. But I wanted to get your top three most talented players at Michigan. Doesn't have to be the best (laughs) basketball players, but if you can name, you know, just guys that had off the charts talent one through three. Go ahead. Like I said, you can you can pass it off if you want.
1: Yeah, I'm going to pass it off because people have talent in different ways. What, what, what are you saying about talent? Because Zach Novak had a talent for, for leading. He had a talent uh, for, for working hard. He, he had a, a talent that made us win. He's a cornerstone of Michigan basketball, the 6'4 power forward. And he, his, he just he – he let us out of the doldrums at Michigan – you know, every bit that Trey Burke did. So you, you, it's hard to, I hate to, to compare great to great. I learned that a long time ago. I heard Jim Harbaugh say that when they they're trying to compare, you know, to him to Tom Brady, or I, I don't know what the scenario was, but I don't like to do that. It's just, it's been a privilege to coach those guys to coach at the university. And really Alex, it's all we were trying to do is put a basketball program on the floor that represents this incredible university, and that is tr- trying to compare to that great institution uh, is is challenging. But I hope we were able to do that. And uh, I sound like somebody running for office right now, avoiding a question.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, very diplomatic of you, Coach. That you know, you can you can't no, run for office. I'm you got to
1: get time on your hands. You, uh, you, you? We had got we had we had walk-ons on this team. You know, whether it's a Josh Bartlestein on the team. Uh, Andrew Dockage, Sean Lonergan, they had every, they had just as much to do with our success as the first round draft choices we had. And you cannot, you, you, you can't separate those things. You know, Rudy Tomjanovich told me a long time ago in, in our first year, you're not amassing talent. You're building a team. And we were, we were very intentional about building a team all the time. And each one of them were great pieces to our puzzles. Right, I, appreciate, I
0: appreciate No, I appreciate that answer. I, truly. Um, Cause I like, I, I love to hear coaches, you know, give everybody the credit. Um, the last question I'll have, it's also a top three list, but it's not, it's not anything that you need to hurt anyone's feelings for. It's more of a conventional basketball question. So we did this with Tim Miles, I think last season, if you could build out a college basketball staff, you're the head coach you get your pick of three assistants from the current pool of big 10 coaches. Uh, you know, they could you could play to their strengths. One could be the recruiter. One could be the, you know, the, the guy who runs practice, but you get three choices. Can you pick three from the current big 10 pool of coaches?
1: Oh man, <laughs> that, that would be tough too. I, you know, the experienced one, the ones that I've been with the longest, Matt Painter, right. Tom Izzo, Uh, And there's been some changes now. So I'm thinking about who probably is the next, who's been there the longest time. Uh, And I can't recall that right now, but I mean, those two, I would start with those two because of what they, the consistency that they've built at both those programs. Greg Gard has been there a while now. Uh, Pardon me?
0: I said Greg Gard is like one of the top, uh, most long, you know, with most longevity now too. At yeah,
1: but, but No, but it's only been four or five. Those guys have been there since oh. I was 12, 13 years. I guess I was the next most tenured of all of them. But I would start with those two just because they do it all. They have innovative offensive. They, their teams always play defense. They recruit with integrity and honor. Um, and, and it sets a mark for the entire league. It just sets this mark for the entire league of this is how we do our business in this league. So you get new coaches and they see uh, there's a I I learned this quote the other day from a guy, Marcus Collins, a teacher here. He says uh, uh, integrity is a light. Send a signal. Integrity is a light. Send a signal. And Matt, Matt Painter and Tom Izzo send signals wherever they go. on do things the right way. And that's, those are the type of people you want. Yeah. I should be their assistants that maybe I could help them uh, as an assistant because they're just so good. And you won't, you don't last in the big 10 unless you're good. This, this, this league demands excellence from their basketball coaches. And as a result for those two to to do what they've done is amazing. And uh, my hat goes off to them.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Like when you look up and, those guys have been there 15, 20 plus years and the rest, like you pointed out are five years yeah. at most under in their current jobs. And it's a lot of good coaches, but it's just yeah. not, not as uh, you know, since you've left and some others have departed, it's, it's not as uh, you know, long for the job as, as it once was in the big 10.
1: Oh, well, I think everybody has changed in the league since I came in, in 2007, everybody has changed, but those two. So, uh, and including me now. So, uh, and there's, so I, I'm just telling you, there's, this is, this is a coach's league now. I mean, when we would get in these matchups with, you see it, they're playing against other conferences. Now, they don't guard like the Big Ten does. They don't score like the Big Ten does. Uh, they don't have – it's just different. When you get out of conference, the Big Ten day in, day out is so good. And, and, and Matt and Tom set, have set that, that precedent for everybody, and all, all the rest of us coaches were trying to be like them. You know, you want a program that's always there and Purdue and Michigan State have been able to do that.
0: Well, coach, that's all I got for you today. I really appreciate you coming on this show. Looking forward to working with you more this year. Uh, I think I speak for everyone when we say we're glad to have you back involved with Big Ten Hoops and we're looking forward to see what uh, coaches like Izzo and Painter and the rest of them can do this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't want to, like you look at the most stable programs. It's not just those, you know, Wisconsin is, I guess Wisconsin's got to be in that group because of the fact that but they just had a change in coaches and greg Gard is is as good as it gets uh, so uh but but there's so many good good coaches everybody everybody i, I love watching the programs grow and uh, people sustain even when they have seniors or guys go pro or transfer they're still good i love it i love it so uh honored to be on here uh alex without a doubt and uh, i look forward to doing it again thanks so much john Okay, thank you. All right, thanks
0: once again to Coach Beeline for joining the show. Really cool to have a guest his magnitude on the show. Cool to have him back at Big Ten Network as well for another year. Um, Just one of those people who, you know, you see them for a long time from afar on TV and growing up and operating their profession. And you're like, man, that seems like a nice guy. Uh, You know, I'm sure. uh, And I would like to think that, He's just as nice uh, in person, and <laughs> every interaction that I've had with him so far has lived up to that. He uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be a kinder guy and was definitely nice enough to give me 30 minutes or so for this interview, and it's a really uh, cool and enjoyable experience for me, so hopefully we can have him on again at some point, maybe as we uh, get closer to March Madness. Look forward to working with him on other projects here at Big Ten Network as the season goes along. So, thanks again to John Beeline for jumping on. Now, get to Harold Shelton, ETN's manager of research, Big Ten Network's manager of research. Um, He is a regular guest. If you've tuned into the show before, you've likely heard him on. Usually, get him on during football and basketball season to take us through. Matchups, some of the stats and numbers behind the matchups. Really, the segment started as a way to integrate kind of his packages of notes that he sends along as our manager of research. He sends all these uh, in depth, you know, matchup notes and numbers and and stats and analytics that go along with games. And, um, you know, we, we had a stats integration as part of segment originally, but really Harold, you know, on top of being really talented at conveying some of his more advanced stats or what the numbers might mean for a matchup or a game or a team, uh, he's just good at talking ball and really good at just having a casual conversation about sports and it's harder to do than you think, especially, you know, people who are trained professionals who do this for a living and talk hours and hours a day. Uh, In my opinion, Harold's right up there with him and and can easily make a living talking about sports. So we're lucky to have him on the show uh, just as kind of a side hustle for both of us to uh, move this podcast forward. So we'll get to Harold right now and we'll break down Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball, everything going on in both of those worlds. It is Tech Ten Podcast discussion with Harold Shelton. All right, I'm very pleased to be rejoined by Harold Shelton, BTN's manager of research in-house stat head. H, how you doing? It's been a week or two since we talked, so every week, there's been a lot that's changed. How you holding up with the rapidly changing circumstances in both football and basketball? I
2: right, know holding up okay. You know, every week's a little different. We're just kind of on the, on the lookout for what games are gonna get canceled so I can try not to write notes some notes about those games. I got burned a couple of times earlier in the season. And, you know, as a vet, you try to, to learn from those mistakes and kind of wait around and see if this team isn't practicing or this team decided to pause. It's like, well, I'm just hold off as long as possible. Uh, and that happened the last couple of weeks with, with Michigan canceling a couple of games and Indiana-Purdue this week.
0: Yeah, we're getting towards the finish line here in football. Basketball still near the beginning. And I think we expected – uh some tumultuous times you know th- there's a lot of moving parts going on and you hate to see obviously a game like michigan and ohio state get canceled uh with such historic and you know implications that extend to the rivalry and beyond just one team in one year so that's too bad um we've had a couple games canceled this upcoming weekend and then also the news that ohio state will advance to play Northwestern in the big 10 championship game. I think Northwestern also clinched in the last time since we spoke. So from your vantage point, what are the implications for Ohio state now that their week um, next weekend, the champions week is set, what do they have to do to, in your view, stay in those college football playoff rankings in the top four And is there any scenario that could bump them out outside of a loss to Northwestern?
2: Uh, So, first of all, can we talk about how very 2020 it is that Northwestern clinched by other teams playing football and them staying home because of the cancellation? And the fact that Ohio State gets to go because a rule was changed from earlier in the year to allow them to go, even though they didn't play the requisite amount of games. And now I'm not here to say they don't deserve to go because they beat Indiana head to head and they clearly look like the best team. They're the only undefeated Big Ten team. So kudos to them. They deserve to go. Uh, with that said, I think if they beat Northwestern, uh, which most expect them to do, uh, they would sit in a really good spot at 6-0. and There is no uh, game limit for the playoff. Um, and I think the playoff rankings have always been arbitrary to begin with. You know, people can kind of use whatever they want to justify their belief. So if Ohio State only playing six games is something that they truly believe is a detriment, so be it. I think that would be silly considering what <laughs> how they judged teams in the past. I think the only way Ohio State doesn't get in the playoff at 6-0 and is if there's the scenario of Florida beating Alabama in the SEC title game and Clemson gets its revenge and beats Notre Dame in the ACC title game. Um, At that point, do you leave a 6-0 Ohio State team out whose best wins would be against Indiana and Northwestern? Uh, You know, I think it's possible. Uh, I think they still try to give love to the Big Ten when possible. Leaving an undefeated Ohio State team out was certainly – be a, a loud a loud warning shot I guess for those who uh, get stuck in this position in, in future years uh, in terms of like shrink schedule and stuff like that
0: but I'd, I'd be really really surprised if they didn't make the four uh, if they won out gotta give a shout out to northwestern too after a really rough year last year making that big ten title game two out of three years you know kind of dethroning Wisconsin's dominance and that path to the, the West division crown is impressive. And I think they clinched in a strange way two years ago, if I remember correctly, a lot of things fell into place on a Saturday afternoon and then they beat Iowa yeah. and uh, it was unexpected. So shout out to them. Um, I got to say H Clemson needs to lose another Dame. Like I just want them done out of the picture, make it convincing Notre Dame because Trevor Lawrence's bag back. It probably won't be as easy or uh, as likely, but I just can't handle Dabo Swinney popping off about this and that, you know, leading into the, the playoff or the selection show, like the one time I'm a Notre Dame fan, I need them to come through for me.
2: No, I'm with you on that. Uh, I've made a really
0: hard turn on, on Dab over the last few years.
2: I thought his story was really cool when he first started out. You know, it's rare to see the interim guy get the job and, and you know, turn the place into a power. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I fell in love with that story until I found out more about him and kind of how he goes about things. And that turned me off a little bit, but um, I'm with you. I'd be, and just for new blood, like I'd be fine if it's not, you know, Clemson, Alabama, every single year in the playoff, which, you know, it just had, which has been the case for the most part, you know, Alabama didn't make it last year because LSU, but, you know, we've seen Clemson in the title game or in the playoff year after year after year. And, you know, if Notre Dame can can pull it off and go 2-0 no against Clemson, we won't see the Tigers. And then, you know, we'll see who that fourth team would be in that case. That would make it really interesting.
0: Yeah, last thing on Dabo, I don't want to get in trouble or anything or cross any lines, but just check my tweets from a few years ago. I've always been on the right side of history here. So, just want to let me know of that. You uh, that my man. Yeah, I just want to, want to get that out there and on the record. Um, all right, H, so looking – ahead to this weekend um with the obviously the marquee event getting canceled what is there to look forward to for college football fans big 10 fans what are some games with implications this weekend especially heading into a unique year and a unique weekend on december 19th with the champions week matchups that's not necessarily all hashed out yet i don't think but there is some seating implications for uh, potential matchups the following weekend, and I just got to say I love this kind of uncertainty of college football. We've talked about it, but I love that Coastal Carolina and BYU can schedule a game on the fly. College football is way too regimented for me at times, where you're scheduling ten years out. Like, I think Champions Week should live on every year uh, in Big Ten football. It's I'm casting my ballot now for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, from a work standpoint, so it's, it's a little bit more for me to do, uh, but I think just as a fan, it's certainly a cool idea, and I'll, I'd i like to see it through, uh, you know, past 2020. Um, I think the biggest game now with Michigan-Ohio State off the table uh, is Iowa-Wisconsin, and so I'm glad that we're still getting a couple rivalry games in this week, even though we've got the bucket game canceled, we've got Michigan-Ohio State canceled, we saw Wisconsin and Minnesota canceled a few weeks ago, but we're still getting some. We still get the Heartland trophy in. We still get, you know, the top hat with Landon Lincoln. You know, we still get, you know, personally, my favorite trophy in all the sports, the land grant trophy, uh, between Penn State and Michigan State. So we're still getting those games. But I think Iowa, Wisconsin is certainly an interesting one. And it's been really surprisingly one sided. You know, Iowa's been great in trophy games, you know, the last five or six years, but they've lost to Wisconsin each time. Um, you know, Kinnick is supposed to be a place where, you know, teams go to die. Wisconsin is not one of those teams. You know, they won five in a row there. And kind of similar to Northwestern for whatever reason, they they are scared of Kinnick. They play well there. They're very comfortable there. And so I'll be curious to see if Iowa can turn the tables on them since they're the team that's riding
0: hot right now. It is funny how the West has these patterns. Maybe I'm just being, you know, selectively biased here. But like you mentioned, with Northwestern and Iowa, Wisconsin and Iowa, Nebraska and Iowa, a lot of Iowa trends, honestly, in there. Um, for a while, it was Wisconsin and Minnesota. with The Axe was all one-sided. Like, it seems like there's a lot of trends in, in these uh, matchups. Northwestern Illinois has been one-sided for a while. And a lot of that is just, you know, programs being better for long stretches. But there are some hidden in there that uh, are tendencies that are, are just interesting. I don't know if it's because the coaches have been around for a while, like with uh, Kirk and Fitz, but I feel like as a stats guy, you, you're, you're the one who uh, has pointed these out to me. So,
2: Yeah, I, the Wisconsin-Iowa and Northwestern-Iowa ones are certainly interesting because, you know, in some cases, you know, I think Iowa's just been a better program than Nebraska, and, and Northwestern, for the most part, has just been a better program than Illinois, and so that, those kind of play out. But, like, Iowa-Wisconsin, I mean, every once in a while, you know, Wisconsin would be drastically better. But they're pretty similar, you know, makeup-wise, record-wise. They're pretty similar. Like, maybe Wisconsin's been a little better than them. But on the field, they seem to always beat them. And so that that's really weird to me. When you have two teams that basically play a similar style of football, you would think that would be more of an even split. And it certainly hasn't been. Um, and even more so for Northwestern, uh, you know, they are as talented as a Wisconsin or an Iowa, but they're so well coached and they play such good defense that they find ways to win those games. And so, you know, the fact that we have these trends, considering the types of teams we have is really interesting.
0: All right. Last question I have before we move on to basketball. And this is truly coming from a point of ignorance because I've been so swept up that I just haven't really thought about this topic. What's going on with the bowl games? I've seen some get canceled that are traditional, like the Sun Bowl, but I haven't heard anything as far as the bigger bowls getting moved. Obviously, the college football playoff is in place and plans to go ahead. Seems like the New Year's Six would do the same. What's going on? Like, Does this weekend have bowl implications? Um, what's the threshold that teams need to meet to qualify? Is it all just kind of up in the air? What's going on?
2: See, and that's it's interesting you asked that because – Before the season, the threshold, you know, normally it's you have to win at least six games or, you know, at least be 500. They got rid of that this year. And so you're thinking, you know, of the 127 teams that are playing this year, like all of them are eligible. Doesn't matter. But they've canceled so many bowls that you wonder how many uh, teams are actually going to be able to make it. And, you know, the Big Ten usually has seven or eight bowl ties every year, but the holiday bowl got canceled. and I believe the pinstripe bowl got canceled. And I think there was one other one that got canceled. And so then you you wonder if we don't get multiple New Year's six teams, will we only get five or six bowl teams when we're used to getting eight or nine? I think that part will be really, really interesting going forward. Um, Hopefully, you know, Indiana, Iowa, if that winds up being the matchup next week in the second best team in the East versus second best team in the West champions week, Maybe the winner of that game has the outside shot at a New Year's Six bowl. Uh, assuming Ohio State can make the playoff, um, I think that game could could wind up having a lot of implications. But other than that, I think you know it's twenty twenty. We're just gonna gonna got to find out and and see what happens as the days go.
0: We still got the the saying one of my favorite sayings: "Get the purple to Pasadena." That's still alive. Absolutely, it still happen.
2: Well, maybe not this year. That's a, that's a. Uh, Rose Bowl is a semi this year.
0: So wait a minute, though. But there's still a Rose Bowl, though, that is the Rose Bowl game outside of the semi, right?
2: Mm-mm. No. So unfortunately. So trip
0: tripped me up. I never, I'm never. i so confused with the tie-ins to the college football playoff. I thought they'd do the Rose Bowl as the CFP semifinal and then traditional Rose Bowl game. But it sounds like I, I'm just getting my ears mixed up. I'm totally confused. on
2: Right. Because, like, if you remember the year Ohio State won the whole thing. They were the Big Ten champ, but they had to go to the Sugar Bowl to play Alabama. Right, the State, Oregon played in the Rose Bowl. So the champion will still get a New Year's Six bowl, but it might not be the Rose Bowl this year. Now, if Ohio State happens to be the second or third best team, if Alabama still won, you assume Alabama go to the Sugar Bowl. Maybe Ohio State can go out there uh, to Pasadena as a ro- in the Rose Bowl as the number two or number three seed, uh, but if that's not the case, then it might be another year they win the league and they have to go to New Orleans.
0: I think I was thinking of there could be two Rose Bowls when the Rose Bowl is the host of the championship game. Yeah. That way you have your Rose Bowl and then the, the final. Mm-hmm. See, so I do this for a living and I still can't get it straight. I also, <laughs> a lot of moving parts. I also am just noticing, like, you know, big first world problems here. Nobody can really, is going to listen to this and is going to feel bad for me. But this year, the semis being in, uh, I believe, New Orleans and Pasadena for the Final Four and then the championships in Miami. Right. Bad year to be on the travel ban list.
2: Yes. I, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, well, I think about it. It's even worse for a team. Like, say Indiana made a New Year Six, and, like, you know, they go to a Fiesta, and they don't have fans. So, like, you couldn't even go if you wanted to. Or, like, Northwestern. I don't think the championship game is allowing fans. And so, right. like – you know second time in three years you get to go but this time you can't go with fans so i like, guess it's, it's a tough year for teams who have had special years like maybe even a coastal carolina if they somehow got into new year as at large could they even have fans go like, It's just that kind of year to
0: be um, it, like you said it, it is frustrating to be on a travel ban list yeah let's get the world back on this axis and then we'll worry about those small potato complaints exactly. but uh let's move ahead to hoops harold um it's been a really exciting start, I think, for the most part in the Big Ten. Um, I think the Big Ten has done a really good job so far. Like, most of the cancellations have been not a fault of their own. Um, external, it's usually been opponents that have been the cause of the cancellations. Um, and it seems like the Big Ten hoops teams have done a really good job just keeping their houses in order. Um, you know, obviously, it's an unpredictable thing. But I do think it's not a coincidence that it seems like the testing program is, is very consistent In the Big Ten and on those campuses, and it's kind of bearing itself out. Once you have these smaller groups, smaller traveling parties, you know, 20, 25 people, easier to contain it. So obviously we saw some unfortunate cancellations in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. First of all, I'm just, I'm sorry about your Spartans, man.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, and it's really messed up for them because they were on a plane. They got to Charlottesville. And then the game got canceled. And so they had to stay overnight and then go back in the morning and get back to practice. You wish you could find out that news before you, you go down there to begin with instead of just taking a, a meaningless trip. But, yeah, I, you know, I wanted to see that. And I was curious to see how many Hauser brother mentions we were going to get from the broadcast with uh, Joey being at Michigan State and his brother Sam being at Virginia, both transferring from Marquette. Um, I was looking to see if we can get, you know, a third ACC win already on the year. But uh, I'll I'll take the first two.
0: Yeah, my friend Kara Kay, who works at Michigan State, she does their digital social operation there. Shout out to her. She's probably listening. I felt bad because they got all the way out there, like you said, and had to turn around, fly right back home. But I still think they spent more time in Charlottesville than I have. I stopped at Kidoba there once. That's my memory of uh, Charlottesville. It seemed like a nice town.
2: Yeah, I've never been. I've heard it's a beautiful campus, but I've never
0: been. Yeah. So feel bad for MSU. They got all the way out there. Um, I am still happy for them. They got a win at Duke, much like Illinois. You know, get a little fist bump through the through the Zoom here. H, our teams went in and rolled Duke. Had, sure. had Coach K sounded like he wanted to retire um, mid season. You know, I I don't want to make too. Too much light of his comments because i do think they came from a good place about uh you know the uncertainty of the season but it, it was amusing that they went in there and and won in ways that a uh, non-conference opponent usually does not in cameron indoor stadium
2: yeah that was a very very impressive performance um you know the fact that i think it was the largest win by a non-conference opponent uh at duke since like 1983 So, the fact that they went in there and pretty much controlled things from jump uh, was was certainly impressive. Like, I know Michigan State went in, but they struggled for a bit, took a while to find their footing, and then pulled away. Illinois was in control from jump. Um, And, you know, when I saw them play against Baylor, I'm like, okay, like they're good, but how good are they? was kind of my takeaway. Now I think Baylor's just really, really good, and Illinois is really good. So I think I learned more about Baylor in that game than I did about Illinois. I think my, my thoughts on Illinois is that they're, they're legit and maybe Baylor and Gonzaga are just like a step ahead of everybody else.
0: Yeah, I think Michigan State and Illinois both alleviated some of my concerns early. Like there's been stretches where the play has not been stellar for both teams, but they've been able to turn it on uh, at certain points. Like Michigan State just goes on these runs where they look unstoppable. It's still very early. I think Illinois had that entire game, you know, where they didn't look like the team that I thought they might be coming in against Baylor, even though they hung with a very good Baylor team uh, and just kind of had a four to five minute stretch where they completely lost any feel they had for the game. And you look up and it's over. So for a while, I was like, maybe this is like a more top 20 to 25 team. But after uh, seeing them in action again, I'm I'm pretty confident that both Michigan State and Illinois are going to be within that five to 15 range all year. Um, so knock on wood, hopefully that bears itself out. Um, I want to get your overarching thoughts on the rest of big 10 hoops though, from what we've seen, you know, it stinks that three of our better teams in the big 10 challenge got their, their games wiped. Uh, the Spartans we talked about Wisconsin was another big opportunity with their game against Louisville, Michigan as well has been, uh, interesting early on their game against NC state also is off for now. Um, So what are your overarching thoughts, you know, lumping the challenge in with holiday tournaments and games? Which teams have jumped out and maybe met your expectations or exceeded them? Which teams have been a pleasant surprise? And then who uh, who's worrying you a little bit?
2: Uh, I thought the top of the league, you know, really performed well. You know, I think most people thought that, you know, the Big Ten was the best league coming in. But when you see the dominant performances that were put on by the teams that were expected to be really good, it kind of, you know, reaffirmed that belief. Uh, We talked about Illinois, you know, beating Duke. We talked about Michigan State uh, beating Duke and blowing out Notre Dame. Uh, We saw Ohio State going to Notre Dame and, and get a comeback win. We saw Iowa you know, they ran out on North Carolina, then they got punched in the face. And you kind of wonder, okay, how do they respond? Garza didn't really play well, and yet they still won by double digits against Carolina and bombed away from three. I was very <laughs> impressed with the resiliency that Iowa showed. I you know I kind of saw them as front runners in a way where when stuff's going well and shots are going in, like you're just in for a long night. Uh, But usually, like, they get punched. You wonder, you know, do they falter? And, you know, they got wobbly for a bit, but, you know, they responded. And, you know, I think that's a huge, huge sign of progress for them going forward. Uh, So I think you take those two. Rutgers. Rutgers look really good against Syracuse. Um, They're kind of been really quiet so far, but they're just winning without Gio Baker right now.
0: Yeah, it's impressive they're doing it banged up.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so I think, you know, they, they had to carry over from last year. Penn State has been a very, very interesting team. They uh, cool. needed a buzzer beater to beat VCU, uh, blew a 19-point lead against Seton Hall. You kind of wondered how they would respond uh, after a, a tough loss like that. And then they just go into Blacksburg and punk Virginia Tech. I mean, largest road win against a ranked team that they've ever had. And I mean, it was never close. Isaiah Brockett didn't look like the real deal in that game. And so um, I w- the takeaway that I had was the top of the league is as good as I thought. The depth is pretty good, but maybe the teams that I expected to kind of make up that depth changed a little bit. I thought Maryland might've been a team that was on the cusp but maybe it's Penn State instead of them.
0: It's a good way of putting it, yeah. Uh- it's funny because Tuesday night and into Wednesday, I was riding high. I'm like, man, ACC should just you know, not even play tonight. Like, they're getting embarrassed out here. And uh, then Big Ten went 0-5 on Wednesday night. And it, it stung a little bit because I, I wanted to roll out some funny memes and, and gloat a little bit on social media. You can't really do that when it's 6-5. You don't even know if the, the last three games are going to be played. So I guess – Big 10 wins this year. If Northwestern would have held on, they officially would have won because I think even if a tie happens, it goes to the winner of the previous year. Right. So I'm going to declare the Big 10 the unofficial challenge winner uh, this year. Just not as dominant as, as it looked like it was going to be Tuesday night because, like you said, the top of the Big 10 showed out. I think it did leave a lasting impression just because those matchups on Wednesday night were not nearly as uh, intriguing. Even though I will say Indiana and Florida State was a great matchup. And I don't think Indiana is really anything to be ashamed of there just because it's hard to go into a top 25 venue. They even had some fans there in Tallahassee. I guess I shouldn't really be surprised, but uh, they had, it wasn't just a, you know, it wasn't an empty gym they went into. And uh, Trace Jackson Davis balled out just wasn't enough to, to beat Florida state in the end. They got a game winner where the guy I think walked a little bit and also a uh, unfavorable timeout call win against Indiana as well.
2: Yeah. Um, I was watching that game and, you know, Trace looked like an animal. You could tell he definitely improved. He made a good decision for coming back for another year. I'm um, still just kind of waiting on them to have another guy consistently step up for them. Um, it can't just be Trace if they want to get to where they want to be. Um, you know, I think Rob Fennessy here and there has been fine. You know, Jerome Hunter here and there has been fine. Armand Franklin here and there has been fine. But they need a consistent, you know, Race Thompson being that uh, that mix as well. Uh I'm just waiting on them to find a consistent second guy to, you know, get to help out trace because he has a, a game like he has last night. You shouldn't lose that game. Like, you just shouldn't lose it. And so I'm still kind of waiting on them to get a big win away from Bloomington. You know, we've seen them beat Michigan state a couple of times at home, but you know, they had the Maui tournament in Asheville and, you know, got third, you know, nothing to be ashamed of, but uh, didn't didn't look good at all against Texas and this would have been a game and' been a nice you know resume builder a confidence builder and you had it and kind of let it get away so I'm still kind of waiting to see if Indiana can be that team that could be you know join the Ohio states and Rutgers at the bottom of the top 25 um, had a chance to do it last night didn't do it
0: yeah I do think what was projected for the bottom of the league is looked better than I thought. Like like we talked about Penn state, honestly, when I saw them at the bottom of projections, I was a little confused. Like obviously a head coach uh, change at the top is going to drop a team like that automatically, you know, maybe lower than they were originally projected. But even though they lost Lamar last year from last year, they still have a pretty good amount of talent coming back. That was a top 10 team last year. So I'm glad to see that they playing hard and have not, You know, given up on on their interim head coach. Seems like Jim Ferry is doing a good job there. Uh, Northwestern, I think, looks better. Nebraska's better than I expected, although they've, uh, you know, lost some tough games. Super tough result Wednesday night against Pitt to close out the challenge uh, for Northwestern. But I, I will say, everyone was dunking on Northwestern's Twitter account for tweeting the final score and turning off the replies. Like, use that feature on Twitter where you can turn off the replies. Yeah. And, like, usually that's a soft move when people do that. I think Northwestern did it on purpose to be funny. Absolutely. Yeah, and took – you know, it just took the heat off their team and directed all the social media account. They're pretty sharp over there. And I think it was a a savvy move by them, and it it made for some pretty good Twitter fodder late Wednesday night.
2: Yeah, I I thought
0: it was funny when I saw it. Kind of like,
2: you see what it is. I'm not going to respond. You guys saw the game, whatever. Like, that's kind of how I took it. Like, I don't think it was a, hey, we don't want any smoke. It was – you saw it.
0: No, Not I'm surprised that. no one's used that feature. Like, shout out to Northwestern for kind of being the first team to co op that and make it into a joke almost. Yeah. So,
2: I mean, it's exactly what it was. and Giving
0: them the benefit of the doubt here.
2: Right. Um, and to your point, the bottom of the league, to just imagine Purdue has a huge lead against Miami and they blow it. Northwestern. Yeah, we didn't talk about Purdue, I forgot about that. So, I mean, to your point, like, we could have really run it up in this challenge because we had dominant wins from the top. And then you had your Purdue up 18. Northern Northwestern's up double digits. Indiana's in a back and forth game. They win two of those. And we're looking at 8-3. If we're looking at 9-2, if they would have won all three of them. I mean, we're. I think this conversation is totally different today. And we're talking about how much better the league is compared to every other league in the country as opposed to just the top. Uh, but you know, I, I think it did show that even though they're teams that are like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, they can still jump up and, and beat some people if you don't bring it. So uh, it's still going to be a meat grinder of a league.
0: I feel like every year since seventeen eighteen, when Purdue was top 10, most of the year, we've had this discussion in December. Like how worried are we about Purdue? I gave up on them two years ago and then they ended up winning the big 10 and like almost going to the final four, uh, made the elite eight. So like I was scarred from that experience, personally humiliated, and try to never give up on Purdue from this point forward, especially when they have a couple uh, losses by mid-December. Are we sticking with that this year? What's going on? You you told me a couple years ago not to worry about Purdue. You were were right in the end. Last year, uh, they were still decent. This year, what are we thinking? Uh, They've got some intriguing pieces. I know their fans have said that, they think they will be better than the national media projected. What do you think, H? Uh,
2: I feel like they'll be similar to last year. Um, I'm still kind of waiting on Trevion Williams to, to take that next step and be the guy. You know, we, we saw the performances he had uh, in the past, like the Michigan game last year. He was an absolute monster, even though they lost that game. Yeah. And we just haven't seen that consistently from him. And I think their guards need to be more consistent. You know, two years ago, I, I was I wasn't worried about them because they had a Carson Edwards and they, you know, they had vets around them. And you know, Matt Painter, being a great coach that he is, was able to make it all work. I just don't know if they have enough scorers to, you know, have a run like that. I feel like they're more of a bubble kind of team, just too inconsistent offensively. Uh, You know, Sasha Stefanovic looks great when it's going in, but when it's not, he's kind of just another guy out there. And so and I feel like they have a lot of those kind of guys on that team. So and I'm also curious to see Mackey with no fans. I feel like it's a huge, huge deal because when they're winning and they're blowing the roof off of that place, they're running teams out of there, whether they're bad, good or whatever. We've seen it. And if they don't have that crowd to get behind them in some of these uh, some of these rallies against these
0: good teams, I'll be curious to see how they respond. One thing about Mackey that still has going for it, I love their nets. I think yep. they got a great net length. It, the swish is really pure when it goes in. I don't know why the rest of the league can't figure that out. They got a really good setup there, so I like watching Purdue games, just for that fact alone. You also mentioned uh, Travion Williams and waiting for him to just kind of be the star. I feel like We've said that the last two years and, like, even his first year. Purdue always just slides in a giant seven-footer to, to just <laughs> yeah. distract us. And then we're like, oh, you know, this guy's seven two, seven three. It was Haas and, and Trey's freshman year. And then Harms obviously last year. And now we got Edie, who I think is taller than both of those guys. Yeah, he's and seven it, four. It's, it's wild. I don't know where they get these guys.
2: I, I was just going to ask you. I mean, do you know where they're getting these guys from? Because, I mean, it seems like every year – you know they're getting multiple six ten guys on the floor, and usually talking pace and space and spreading it out. And they're like, "Nah, give me all your centers. Like I want all this, all your big guys. We're going we're just every year we're gonna have some ginormous human being to, you know, take up some space and block some shots, and get some rebounds.
0: It's the identity now. Like if you're seven two or taller, you're out there. You got to consider Purdue. You got to be at least make the top three you know, on the recruiting list. I feel like that's it's a must by now.
2: Exactly. I mean, and they've done well. You know. Matt Painter has coached him up to a point where, you know, you're going to get a look, whether it's, uh, you know, offensively, defensively. Haas was more of an offensive guy. Harms was more of an energy block shots, rebound kind of guy. Uh, well, it remains, to seem, it remains to be seen where Edie will be, uh, but they certainly have the market cornered on that.
0: How's Harms doing at BYU so far? Have we seen anything from him? I haven't noticed.
2: Uh, I haven't seen much. Um, I feel like but...
0: Kentucky could use him with the way they're going. Yeah. Kentucky's having
2: uh hey, man, Duke having a few issues.
0: K- Kentucky shoot. and Duke can't shoot. It's like it's like Cal and K just get all these, you know, McDonald's All-Americans and then forget that you need somebody to be able to spread the floor and sh- make an outside shot once in a while. Like, I watched, obviously, the Duke-Michigan State and Duke-Illinois games. I'm like, these guys are broke from Eve. It's crazy.
2: It is. And it, it's really interesting when you hear the the national media kind of say, like, hey, they don't have that traditional – one and done lottery guy when I hear that I'm like okay they're not going to be that good then because re- especially dude recently you know Cal is you know his record speaks for itself when it comes to getting all of the one and done guys and you know he finds a way to, to make it work every year but this year with neither one of them I, I wouldn't be shocked if they're kind of fringe top 25-ish kind of teams because it seems like the lifeblood of those programs now is to have high-end lottery talent
0: and when they don't have it you know they don't really
2: do well with role players this is not what they do
0: it's an au game it's a bunch of guys you know trying to take turns i feel like that's what reminds me of watching it it's just like there's not really a whole lot of structure going
2: on right it was no ball movement it was it didn't seem like any of the sets were crisp. You know, guys would go to the rack, get it thrown back at them. Uh, you know, a lot of ISO ball, like you said. And when guys can't shoot, it's like, well, I-, I can go help because I'm not worried about this guy making a shot. And I think that's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, Kentucky getting pounded by Georgia Tech the other day. I mean, it's one thing to lose to Kansas on a neutral. Uh, you know, losing a Richmond at home is kind of surprising, but it looks like Richmond's
0: pretty good. But the Georgia Tech loss, I was like, oh, this, this, this could be a problem. One more thing, you know, just as we're piling on these teams. Matthew Hurt, bro, like, I need, I need you to see a different barber fire your guy or something. Because, like, you know, this, you're supposed to, like, fade or blend it a little bit. He was rocking, like, I don't know if that was the Leitner haircut or what was going on. Um, but on national TV to show up like that, it's almost like, I just think that's intentional almost. You're, you're, you're like, give me the, you know, give me the nineties, uh, high school kid haircut. And the barber's like, say no more.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It it wasn't a, it wasn't a great look. Um, I, I wouldn't suggest any of my friends get a cut like that. I know I wouldn't get a cut like that, but you know, that might just be his thing, you know, um, or he might've had to back up barber. You know, quarantine times is, is hard right hard now. Uh so you know it, it was tough for me. I had to go get the backup barber. You know, it's you know it is hard sometimes. So you had to
0: go in somebody's kitchen, huh?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's different right now. And I don't know, you know, we can circle back on this in January, or February. If he's still wearing the same kind of cut, then maybe that's just who he is. But I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt for now, just hard for me, considering how much I dislike Duke. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and just say, you know, right now, 2020, weird year. We don't know the circumstances behind the cut.
0: Yeah, and I can, you know, I can never begrudge anyone too much because you can just accuse me of being jealous because dude had at least the the unflinching hairline up top. You know, we're not all as blessed as him. So <laughs> keep doing your thing, Matthew Hurt. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. On that note, H, we can close it out. Um, you know, hope for – Minimal disruptions as we get into the end of football season here. We've dealt with enough already. And hopefully basketball stabilizes. I think it's been doing a pretty good job. Like, I know the amount of cancellations is staggering because there are so many teams. And that's what people point to is just, like, all these games getting canceled. The one versus two with Baylor and Gonzaga definitely was not great. Um, But I just think if they can get to conference play, get a little more of that structure – college basketball will hopefully be fine. Hopefully I just saw the headline the uh, vaccine arrives in maybe February for the general public. So far from an epidemiologist, but hoping that's the case just in time for March Madness.
2: Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, I do think it's interesting that Rick Patino was saying it before the season, like, hey, look, we need to pause this thing. Started late, had a tournament in May, got a better chance of getting most of these games in, vaccine could be out and we can go forward. And then you have what Kay was saying, we can't have another year missing a tournament. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we're not that good. And, uh, you know, we got these games canceled. So let's rethink this. Uh, I do think, to your point earlier, like we, we does need to be revisited because, you know, having Baylor, Gonzaga get canceled, Michigan State, Virginia, games like that, that are marquee games get canceled is never good for the sport. Uh, But at the same time, you got to worry about the safety of the kids that are doing this. And so I think that's most important.
0: Yep. And uh, we'll obviously be covering it all as as well as we can here uh, as often as we can on the podcast. So I'll talk to you soon, H, and hopefully we got a lot of games and results to talk about coming up soon. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. Thanks once again to Harold and John Beeline for joining the show. A lot of good stuff in this week's episode. Um, Trying to get these out every week or two. Not going to lie, there's a lot of stuff going on with both sports kind of overlapping. November and December are always our busiest months at Big Ten Network, but it's all good. Continue to churn these out as fast as possible, as fast as we can get guests, and uh, continue to adapt and observe and root for what's going on in Big Ten sports, and Uh, feel lucky to be able to do it right now especially during uh, you know time a lot of uncertainty across the board so excited to have these sports on our screens in December 2020 and glad to be uh, you know in your airpods your earbuds your headphones as well continue to do the podcast and don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already please do so on podcast platforms you can find us on your traditional platforms like your Apple Podcasts, your Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and uh, if you wanna see us on your screens as well, you can do so. I wanna see John Beeline uh, you know, for the first time since, <clears throat> since he coached. He is on YouTube and this entire interview is on YouTube. All our episodes are now on YouTube. Go to the Big Ten Network's YouTube channel, find the Take Ten Podcast playlist, and uh, subscribe to the Big Ten Network YouTube channel You've not done so already. There's no excuse for not finding the Take 10 podcast in 2020, 2021. We're out there and easy to find. Thanks as always to Julie Brander for producing the show. And we will get back to you soon here on the Take 10 podcast. We'll get you at least one more episode before the new year. Thanks for listening and talk soon.